KCL or live. We're thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Good morning and very welcome along to the show this morning. Five minutes past ten. What a weekend. We'll talk about the sport in just a few moments' time, but some uh, housekeeping, I suppose, to get done first of all, just to let you know about a couple of road closures out there. There's a temporary road closure from today until Wednesday uh, from the City Wall on Ormond Street to its junction with Lower New Street and a diversion will be in place there. Now, just to give you a little bit more information, access to the multi-storey car park, that will be maintained via Patrick Street only and the exit from that multi-storey car park will be managed by traffic management personnel. So if you're heading in there today to do a bit of shopping, just bear that in mind. Going over to Danesford, Benedict Bridge will be closed daily from today until next Saturday. That's from 8am until 6pm and local diversions are in place in that area. So if either of those affect you, just bear that in mind. Good news! We have a competition for you all this week here on KCLR. We're teaming up with Home Fire Fuels to warm your hearts. If you've witnessed or indeed experienced yourself an act of kindness in your community, we want you to let us know. You can email us, kclrlive at kclr96fm.com or you can text us during the show between 10 and 12 on 083 306 96 96. That's the dinnersready.ie text and WhatsApp number. Uh, we're looking for five finalists. Now, each of the five finalists, well, they'll win a very toasty 10 bags of home fire fuels with the overall home fire warm hearts champion. Yes, you'll be crowned a champion as well. They're going to win. Listen to this. I did the maths on it during the week. It's a lot of fuel, but it's three bags of 20 kilo home fire fuels weekly. For 17 weeks, that's a lot of fuel to keep you warm right throughout those winter months. The closing date for entry is Friday the 29th of September. So join us by spreading a little bit of warmth, kindness and joy in the community. Be part of the Home for Our Warm Hearts competition on KCLR all this week. We want you to get those stories into us between now and 12 o'clock. 083 306 9696. If it's something small, you can send it by um, WhatsApp or text message. Or, as I said, you can email us, KCLR live at kclr96fm.com. And we're going to kick things off by trying to do our own little act of kindness. Because Barrow Ranger GAA Club, well, they're in the process of organising a benefit night in aid of the Hutton family. Um, on the recent bereavement back in March of David Hutton, it was a story, um, a workplace-related tragedy. A story that we covered at the time. David's children play with the Hurling Club. You may recall um, we did a lot of um, activities on it around about the time and covered that story. But they've been left in a very difficult situation and, and the reason for the benefit night is to try and help the family out a little bit. Now, Barrow Rangers, they're looking for somebody to do some music on Saturday, September the 30th the evening of the um, benefit night. It's from 9pm onwards and they're hoping that somebody would have the skills, the ability. We're not just looking for somebody who's got a Spotify account and a couple of small little speakers. We're looking for a proper DJ who can um, you know, run the whole night long. Um, September the 30th and they're looking for somebody to do it as a goodwill gesture to help the family out. So if you are that person or if you know somebody who might be able to do it, contact us here at the show 083 306 9696. We'll pass those contacts 
contact details on to Karen Gleeson and all the team organising that event. But they're the type of things that we want you to do. They're the type of things we want you to tell us about to be in with a chance of winning all of that fuel. 083 306 I'll remind you of those details of the benefit night a little bit later on. But what a weekend of sport. I think it's time for Irish people to feel proud of the sport that we have. I mean, very proud of the uh, Irish women's soccer team making it to the World Cup. But there's nothing like beating the world's best and we did that we're world ranked number one but we beat the current world champions in South Africa at the weekend how tense was it extremely tense now Manchester United won um, on Saturday night as well so it was a double bubble for me you know probably a bigger celebration at Manchester United winning because that's not happened very much recently but did you enjoy the rugby at the weekend or perhaps you were tied up with all of the coverage that KCLR had of local sports because we think it was a record. I haven't had a chance to check in with Robbie and the sports team this weekend, but we covered, listen to this, more matches than probably Sky Sports, BT Sports and everybody else combined. Ten hurling matches were covered here over the weekend. Ten GA matches, so they weren't necessarily all hurling matches. Ten GA matches over the weekend, but what a fantastic weekend of sport. Were you always into the rugby? I'm thinking of organising a party, a house party, any excuse. But I remember what 88 was like for the Irish soccer team, Italian 90. When I was a kid at home growing up, they were the occasions that stayed in my memory. And maybe over the next couple of weeks, the Irish rugby team will create some memories for the next generation. Let me know. Did you enjoy the sport? Are you going to have a party? Or can you help out with organising somebody to help at that charity night in Barrow Rangers GA Club. 083 306 Time to get on with the show. 10 past 10. Now, Councillor Patrick O'Neill from Fine Gael has said that he's leaving local politics after 12 years. And he joins us in studio now to find out why. Good morning, Patrick. You're very welcome. Right. <coughs> Thanks for having me. Um, so, obviously, you've announced that after yeah. 12 years, you've had enough, you've done. What, what brought you to that decision? Well, look, it's been... Um I suppose a lot of change over the last couple of years. Uh, had we've had two children, three and one, nearly one now, and my work situation has changed over the last two years as well. I'm a lot busier in that regard, of different role, a bit more travelling involved, and I've just found it very, very hard to balance everything over the last couple of months in particular. So I just felt it was the right decision to take a step back in from this side of things. Um, you know, to give the party enough time to find a replacement for next year's elections in June. Um, yeah, it's just life situation has changed. Politics is very demanding, and you know, I was I just can't do everything, unfortunately. Because there can be a bit of, pres- of a presumption be- in the public domain that if you're a politician, that means you're on 120, 150 grand a year, whatever the big boys are getting paid up in, up in Leinster House. Mm. But of course, local politics, the councillors. Um, Yes, they get some small remunerations for the work that they do, but it really is a part-time job. Yeah, look, it's paid for, uh, look, for for someone who had a full-time job. The extra salary was 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 a good bonus to have every every month. In fairness, I, I can't complain in that regard. But definitely, it's it's a full-time job paid maybe with a part-time salary. And a lot of guys do it full-time, and I don't know how to do it to be honest. If uh, you know, maybe they have other other avenues of income, but it's uh, you know, I suppose. I joined a couple of extra committees and stuff that I maybe didn't realise again that the work that was involved with them uh, at the time and the amount of extra meetings that you had. I, I don't think maybe people realise how... No, say so you have your main council meeting, you have your municipal meetings and then there's all other... You have ETB meetings, board of management meetings of schools 
uh, you have SPC meetings every every couple of in, months. In a normal week, right? And I think it's a great opportunity for maybe people to look at the work that the councillors do. In a normal week, how many meetings would you generally have to attend? I suppose it varies, but I suppose there's always one week, particularly in a month, where you over a two week period, I could say, if you say, let's say, the second and third week of the month where the majority of the meetings would be, and depending on certain times of the year, if you're getting into budget time and, uh, you know, roads, roads, um, roads projects time of the year, all that kind of stuff, you'll have extra workshops, you'll have. So a second, third, you could have, you could have two or three. You could easily have seven, eight, nine meetings in a week, in, in a week in, in, during working hours, and there could be anything then with community groups or you know party meetings or anything in the evening time as well to go along with it. So obviously, when you're when you're in the role, you are you're immersed in your community and organisations, whether it be GA clubs, soccer clubs, uh, tidy towns, everything goes along with that as well. So, look, it's all part and parcel of it. I really enjoy it, but it's just for I suppose for my family's sake, and I suppose. You know, I can't do a job I feel I'm not going to do right if yeah. I stayed at it as well. And it would be fair on the people of the Callan Thomas area in particular to have someone who's not really capable of fulfilling the job over another five years. I suppose I have, I have what six, seven, eight months left, and I intend to do as much as I can in that period. But you know, I'd only be lying to myself if I thought I could do that again for five years. Um, I'm going to ask you a personal question. Mm-hmm. Do you mind? I hope you don't mind. You can tell me to sort off when I've asked it. It'd be too late then. How old are you? I am 35. So you were 23 when you well, got I was, I was 26. I was, I'm nine years. I'm 10 years. Anyway. I'll, have two, I'll have two terms done. So I'm, ni- I'm nine years done. I'll have 10 years done and I'm finished. Yeah. And anybody who's sort of at the point where they've got a young family or got married in, in the last decade and stuff like that, there's a very mm. big difference between the amount of free time that you have in your hands when you're in your mid-20s and don't have those family commitments. Yeah to the situation yeah, you're like, in now when I started like I suppose I came out of college as a civil engineering graduate into the middle of the recession seen the worst of it at that time and that kind of galvanised me a bit to maybe want to do something for my generation at the time and I suppose my dad had a history in politics he was a councillor got elected to the senate and he, when he was elected to the senate there was a local lady elected in his place not something I'd ever really considered at the time she got married had her first child and decided this wasn't really for her then going forward so I was in a job at the time that was quite flexible and I said sure look why not give this a go um, and you know I did five years there I had a year as Mayor of Kilkenny in that period I did that full time for the year it was a great experience uh, obviously then I had a general election run in the last general election and that obviously didn't work out too well uh, look understandable Fine Gael weren't overly popular at the time as a new candidate I was always going to be up against it and he didn't know the election was going to call on a spur so it was very hard for someone who was working to then take that you really you really need to be full-time at it. Take, if, so you know elections coming nearly. You need to take eight months nearly off and go full-time, open offices, get everywhere across the constituency and try and build your profile. And there's no sense in this that with the next general election not looming too far away, mm. and again, Fine Gael still probably not yeah. as popular as you'd like them to be, mm. that, that the next year's work could be fruitless as well. Well, that was it. Look, I always said I wasn't going to be a councillor forever. I always feel in any job you're in, you should be looking to progress. And I suppose I was, at, I was in that... I had age on my side that I thought, look, we'll we'll work hard at this, see where we go. Obviously, had my run in the general, didn't work out well. Naturally, then the next thing you normally do is you you stand in the Senate election. At the time, my wife was due the first child over that period, so I wasn't going to be going traveling the country looking for votes at that time. So I didn't really get to put my name forward in that regard. And then, kind of out of the blue, Michael Darcy and Wexford stepped down from the Senate about six months later, and I threw my name in the hat there. I said this was a good opportunity. Now I felt there was a second seat winnable for Fianna Gael at the time, and I felt I was in a good position to do that in Carlow Kilkenny. I put my case forward. Was didn't obviously get the nomination. Went down to a lady in Limerick, and that kind of 
that was the crossroads for me in particular. I was like, well, look, they obviously don't see me maybe as being someone that they 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 see I have a long term vision for. So, like my day job had given me enough leeway, and I really had to make a decision: am I going to go head, neck, and ears into politics, or really focus on the day job? Because I was pretty sure I was close to losing the job a few times over the last number of years, and I can only thank Transformate a lot for the patience they've they've given me over the years. And we've heard a lot of stories recently as well in relation to the changing tide in terms of how people interact with politicians. You know, two and a half thousand euro grants mm. for politicians and, and councillors and that's to upgrade security, for example, at their own homes. Protests outside of the doll. There's always been protests outside the doll, yeah. but there's a big difference between a group of people standing across the road with placards and, and calling out slogans to people harassing politicians mm. walking down the street, threatening them. Um, did that factor into part of your consideration? A little all? bit. Now, look, I kind of so as politicians go social media really is where everything is at at the moment unfortunately um, I kind of backed away from it about two or three years ago I'm not very active on it anymore I just kind of said I. and was I that because of the type of abuse that you would receive wasn't that I get abuse I've seen the abuse others were getting and uh, you know it wasn't even abuse it was just more so people having unreal expectations of what you can actually do and the stuff they would say if you put up a post on something it wasn't good enough for someone and they wanted something else and it was just you're on a hiding to nothing really like nothing was ever enough um, and look that's just part and parcel of it I think politics going through a funny phase and it started like you see what happened with Brexit and Trump in America and the kind of extreme views of how they're starting to kind of and what happened in, at, at Leinster House last week you know there is an element of um, I would have fears for politicians I think someone is going to get hurt soon uh, hopefully it's not going to get to the level of what happened in the UK plenty of times but there is there is an unsavory element to, I suppose, what certain groups of people think they can, how they can treat, I suppose, elected represent- representatives. Look, I know people have different views to me. I always felt I was very respectful to anyone that, you know, had different views to me. I always sat with them. I thought I tried to listen to their points and their views and try to be as, I'm probably too middle <laughs> middle of the road for a politician nowadays. I think you really need to be really hard one side or the other and very vocal on it to kind of galvanise a certain section of support where. I feel I'm very much... But do we not need more people who are middle of the ground in politics well, in order so. to prevent this sort of demonus that we've got, you know, growing within our society? Well, I think that's what's... I think we're going to go through a phase. To see what's going to happen in the next general election will be quite interesting um, because the, the level of scrutiny, the amount of use that happens... Like, why would anyone that has a good job, has small kids or anything like that, why would they risk all that for the level of I suppose invasion that'll bring to your life particularly as a national politician whatever about being a councillor but I couldn't imagine being a minister or or even just a a high profile TD because it's very hard to go anywhere at the moment without having some form of of abuse and look there's people people very frustrated with the government and how things have gone look housing for my generation in particular is a huge issue and look we can't really necessarily stand over Were you frustrated with the government? In parts of it, yeah. Look, I think in, a lot of things have done well. Look, housing is something that is a big, big problem. And we look, we can't justifiably say we've we've resolved it. We haven't. It's still as bad, if not a little bit worse, than what it was 10 years ago. Um, you know, it's not an easy situation to solve. The next government aren't going to solve it in an instant. It's uh, There's many varying factors to it. There's, I suppose, the amount of people that are coming to Ireland to work. There's, Ireland is quite a wealthy country. In Dublin in particular, people can afford to buy expensive houses because the market is obviously well, they've clear. no choice there because yeah. there's only expensive houses um, in Dublin true true and other areas but like it's those are planning laws are quite difficult I think we're 
I just think it's uh, yeah where housing is not Do you know what it's actually sad to hear the frustration in your voice because I mean there's a lot of campaigns going on at the moment to encourage for example women to get into politics mm. and you know there should be more done to encourage young people to get into politics you're somebody who got into politics quite young and here you are still quite young mm. yeah yeah <laughs> um, getting out do you feel frustrated yeah big time it's uh, it's um, yeah look it's been part and parcel of my life for so long even from dad's time and it's kind of it's it's sad to, to, to let it go but I just feel as particularly as a counsellor like you have very very little power when it comes to certain things and like there are certain projects I suppose that went on in my area in the last three, two three years particularly around wind energy in particular where look again I'm not going to get into the debate of saying I am for or against wind energy I am very pro renewable energy when it's done I think in the right way but we've had some monster projects proposed in our area that have bypassed us as councillors we get the heat from our 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 resident you know the local people uh what are you going to help how can you help us what can you do for us which is absolutely zero all we're getting asked is there, the project is going straight to on board panola we have the whole meeting and literally give our views and it's minuted and goes back to them and we're like tough look guys we don't really care what you think about these things um noom like as a councillor like there, there people might think we have a lot of powers we don't you know I suppose a lot of things where I get recently is planning issues planning is getting a lot harder in rural areas in particular one off housing you know and that's quite difficult in time where housing there is a housing shortage um, a lot of it is down to environmental stuff which again kind of frustrates me because we all want to do our bit but it's kind of hampering other things by being a bit maybe too over the top on some of the environmental stuff um, you know I suppose there's a lot of elements in society that are not happy you know uh, you know the guards are not happy at the moment. The farmers are not happy. Uh, the the nurses have had their issues. The teachers, like everyone, is feeling the pinch. Um, and even though the numbers look good from, uh, you know, in the books at national level, it's not really filtering down to people on yeah. the ground. And it's very hard for the government to to overturn that message. And they're going to find a very difficult election campaign the next time. And I, it's uh, you know, it's going to be. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. To be honest, um, do you feel relieved? A little bit that it's out there. I said it to Fine Gael about two months ago that I wasn't intending on on standing again. Um, when John Paul then announced he was standing, I probably considered it again and said, "Maybe is this the you know the right maybe, time? Yeah, maybe yeah. I should maybe I should hang on and try again." But I said, "No, look, it wasn't." It wasn't. I was making the right call, as like I think in the article in the paper I mentioned that my wife had a couple of health issues, um, and that just kind of finalised my mind I said look I've heard so many politicians say they've given up the best years with their kids you know when you are at particularly at national level you're gone p- pretty much all day you know yeah. no matter what you're three or four days in Dublin and then you're you're travelling your constituency the rest of the day so you know I felt like it's always something I, I could consider again in the future when the kids are a bit older and everything that that part of my life has, has settled down and I'm in a better situation maybe to look at it again um, I would have liked to have got to it all I felt I would have had I think I would have been a better TD than a councillor because I think I would have been good with a bit of support staff around me, with a bit of secretarial help and everything goes along with it. Um, but, yeah. Not to be. Yeah. Not to no. be. Well, listen, um, in a very non-partisan way, I just want to say uh, thanks to you as, as a young Irish person for making the effort to get involved in local politics. Thanks for the work that you've done over the time. And uh, enjoy the kids. Yeah. Thanks a million. Thanks for having me. Councillor Patrick O'Neill um, of Fine Gael announcing that he uh, will not be standing next time around. 24 minutes past 10 o'clock. If you've got any comment on, on Patrick, I mean, we often hear um, politicians being quite bullish about their own abilities, their confidence and what they're going to do into the future. It's quite refreshing to hear that behind it all, they are human. 
KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. Very welcome back. 083 306 9696. So many of you reminding me of other great sporting achievements over the weekend. Of course, the European female golfers, including. Leona Maguire, great Irish female golfer. Um, well enough, I thought they were in trouble when they went 4-0 down in the first session on Friday morning. But now they've retained the, the uh, Solheim Cup with a draw. Congratulations to them. The Irish female women's soccer team playing, unbelievably playing at the Aviva. Lansdowne Road, as many of us know it. Very first time over the weekend, also winning 3-0. So all going very well on the sporting front at the moment. Let's hope it continues over the next couple of months. And, um, you know, the opportunity, the opportunity to lift a World Cup trophy with the Irish rugby soccer t- uh, rugby team uh, coming towards the end of the month. Can't believe this is another five weeks of the Rugby World Cup to go. We'll all be very much and fully enthralled by the time it comes to the end of that tournament. Keep those suggestions in terms of sporting heroes from over the weekend coming in, if you like, 083 306 And don't forget about our competition running all this week the opportunity for you to tell us about acts of kindness all brought to you by the team at home fire and get those acts of kindness into us and uh, i'll read out one or two of them if i can before the end of the show now fiona o'malley is the ceo of turn to me it's a national mental health charity and they're launching a new support group for parents of bullied children fiona joins us on the line now this morning good morning fiona Good morning, thank you for having me. Great to have you on. I mean, bullying is an issue that can manifest itself at any point or any time in the year. But, of course, with the return to school in September, it's a big topic for concern of parents um, at this time of year. Give us a little bit of an insight as to um, the idea and the concept behind um, Turn To Me. So Turn To Me is a national mental health charity. As you say, we offer adult living in Ireland up to sex free counselling sessions. We also offer support groups on things like anxiety, depression, grief and relationship issues. Um, Turn To Me was founded by two brothers, Ushin and Dermot Scallard, who very sad lost their other brother, Cormac, to suicide. So when um, Cormac died, they wanted to set up an organisation that gave people the tools that they, they needed and that free tools at that to help and to improve their their mental health and that's exactly what uh, Turn To Me does. I mean obviously you know it's it's when a child or a young person is being bullied we've got to support them but their biggest support network mm. is their family led by the parents. Mm. Parents you yeah. know as I am one we often feel very underskilled maybe or undereducated in mm. terms of dealing with this. How big is a challenge of is that? It's hugely problematic and a lot of um, parents also feel under-equipped. Like, as you say, they're, they're, they're not sure what to do and oftentimes people who contact us, they say, oh, geez, if I intervene, will it make it worse? And then, you know, I suppose for resilience training in young people, everyone needs a little bit of, you know, hardship along the way or kind of certain smaller barriers uh, to build that resilience. But 
the difference of bullying today is very, very different to bullying that you and I might have experienced when we were in school. Um, because when we went into school, it probably would have been name calling or maybe a bit of exclusion. Sometimes we might have witnessed people being shoved or, you know, in an extreme case, some people, some person being hit or something like that, which is awful, obviously. But in today's world, the online bullying is really, really um, so toxic. Um, it's just something that creeps into every element of that young person's life and it's no longer something that they can leave at the school gates and think well I don't have to worry about that until tomorrow because it follows them home it is on their um, WhatsApp it can be on their uh, Facebook their Instagram you name it any social media site people can target them on it and a lot of people um, will say to us that they're not sure how to support their young person going through uh, this bullying and don't forget bullying particularly for a young person is oftentimes at at a period in their life when they're already going through hormonal and physical changes so it's quite a turbulent time for young people and parents really struggle to support them sure what to do as I say they're not sure how to intervene if they should intervene um, and that's why we decided based on a lot of feedback that we got from parents who are really struggling to support their young person we decided right we'll just set up a support group where we can have a mental health professional there who will guide parents through uh, supporting their, their child or their teenager who is experiencing bullying with helpful tips um, on things and things to, to, to look out for and to do if your child is going through bullying and, and also it'll be a great space for those parents to talk to each other and to support each other and to feel like well I'm not the only person struggling with this this is very common it can have a huge knock-on effect for families as well, particularly in extreme cases of bullying and leads to to mental health issues for parents. Because as you said, do we mm-hmm. intervene? Don't we intervene? Are they just being hormonal? Are they making more of it? Did they do something wrong? There's all these challenges that parents face as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And as you say, people don't want to overreact or underreact because that's like a, a very difficult balancing act. And then some parents kind of think, oh, well, I, I don't want to kind of dismiss it. You don't want to be reductive. You don't want to minimalize it. Um, but it can be very, very, very tricky for, for parents to navigate those those turbulent waters. Um, so one of the things that we would encourage parents to do would be, well, the first thing is to definitely keep those communication channels open with um your your child or your teenager uh, because if they feel like they have someone to confide to even if it's just one person that will make a huge difference to their mental health and their IT levels when they're going through the bullying the second thing to do would be um to encourage them for example if they're being excluded a lot of uh, parents would say that their child is being excluded whether that's from social circles or whether that's believe it from their own friend circles um, so we would encourage the the parent to sign their child up to other clubs other sports teams other activities so that they feel less isolated if they are excluded and they have other friends to, la- to turn to <coughs> excuse me and then we would also encourage parents to plan fun family days or fun trips or activities to do as a family unit so that the child or the teenager has things to look forward to outside of that school environment. I thought the uh, Turn To Me homepage um, sort of summed it up, which, let's be honest, that's the aim of a homepage on any website because when you open it onto it, it looks very fresh, it looks very friendly, but it starts with the expression, hi, um, glad you're here, mm-hmm. let's get talking. Talking is key. Mm-hmm. Talking is absolutely key, not only just to vent and to express those anxieties, but to get some some support. And sometimes, like the most powerful psychotherapists and psychologists out there, they actually don't say an awful lot. 
they're just there as a soundboard to listen and to to validate the young person or their client's concerns that's hugely powerful because when we feel listened to we feel like we're validated so listening is is huge huge hugely important and you've seen a huge uptake in numbers of parents signing up for the service has there has there been a real change in the need for these type of services fiona over the last couple of years they have indeed yeah a lot of people have signed up and as i said that's why we decided to launch this work group based on the feedback that we got from parents um so a lot of parents would express to us that they i suppose because bullying today particularly online bullying is very very different to any type of bullying they might have experienced themselves or they might have witnessed or they might have known or been equipped to to deal with these issues um so that's why we decided to set up the support group and the support group runs on wednesday the 29th or the 27th rather of this month and it also runs on the last wednesday of october and november as well because just the first uh, term of school we find people can really really struggle so it'll be the first Wednesday of every month from now until November and it'll be at seven o'clock um, online on an online platform so anyone anywhere on the island of Ireland, Ireland can access it and um, so if people want to sign up for those free professional services they can do so on turntome.ie. Well, you've uh, preempted my last question because I was going to ask you to give out those details so anybody interested in making contact can make contact. Fiona O'Malley, uh, it sounds like a fabulous initiative. CEO of Turn To Me, Fiona O'Malley, thanks for joining us this morning on the show. 24 minutes to 11 o'clock. Um, we're going to take a short break after which I'll be speaking to Dr. Kenneth Bulger. He's a consultant respiratory physician at St. Luke's because today is World Lung Day. KCL or live with thanks to the Fairgreen Shopping Centre gift card, the perfect gift for all occasions. See fairgreen.ie. Good morning, you're very welcome back. It's Brian Redmond here with you until 12. Thanks for the text messages, particularly people who are brave enough to share their stories in relation to bullying. Um, Anne has been on. A lot of bullying is done on social media. Social media has been responsible for many, many tragic deaths. Anne, absolutely it has. Um, and we're fully aware of it. Thanks for sharing that message with us. Appreciate your taking the time this morning. Um, my grandson was kicked and spat at last week in school. And when my grandson said it to the teacher, she said, just, uh, she just said that if he does it again, as he, the perpetrator, uh, he won't be allowed out into the playground. Mm, I think this behaviour is disgusting, says this particular texter. Well, again, appreciate you taking the time. And don't forget, for anybody out there who's looking for some help, some guidance, somebody to speak to, you can check out turntome.ie. And don't forget, as always, KCLR has our help pages available to anybody who wants them. KCLR96FM.com forward slash help. You can check that out at any point. Well, today, as I said, is World Lung Day, and the Irish Thoracic Society is urging you to show your lungs some love. Dr. Kenneth Bulger joins us this morning. Um, he's a consultant respiratory physician at St. Luke's, and he's going to tell us a lot more. Good morning, Kenneth. Thanks for taking the time out of your very busy schedule. So World Lung Day, very, very important parts of the body, of course. But what should we be most aware of? So we physicians, in conjunction with the ITS, are trying to promote five pillars of health that will improve your lung health and, by default, your overall body health. Because you wouldn't believe how much your lungs will contribute to the overall well-being of your body as a whole. So the five pillars that we've put together, it will surprise nobody that they're led by smoking, complete and utter smoking cessation, or in even better again, never having started smoking again. 
We then go on to diet, looking at healthy intake, and by default, having that in- healthy intake manifests as a normal, healthy body mass index or overall weight. We're encouraging people to get out and exercise, aiming for about 30 minutes of moderate exercise five times a week. So this means that your heart will race a little bit. You will feel warm or sweating. And that's a a reflection that you're actually burning off some calories and doing your uh, body good. We're going to work on air conditioning and air cleanliness overall. And coming into the winter and autumn months, we're advocating that people sign up to get vaccinated for COVID, flu, and the pneumonia uh, vaccination if it's uh, available to them. So those five key killers again, um, smoking cessation, diet, exercise, air cleanliness and vaccination against some of those uh, conditions that are out there. Um, Just give us some insight as to uh, the changes in lung health in Irish society over the last decade or two. Are we improving in that regard? We peak and trough is what I would say. Insofar as some years ago we were doing very well. There were you've seen the advertisements on radio and television yourself that we had more quitters than smokers at one time. But these numbers fluctuate and it looks like the trend towards smoking is, is starting to uptrend again. And some of the blame there has to be put at the feet of vapors. Mm. People that are exposed to vaping, the nicotine and the particulate matter, etc., they seem to be transitioning quite seamlessly to smoking so the healthy attitude that we were promoting some years ago has been altered somewhat by the ease of access to vaping and we're seeing an uptrend again in the uptake of smoking in younger people arguably starting from a a, a younger age than they would have done historically it's unusual I mean I, I pick young people up from school you know my, my own children not just young people in general my own children up from school and and the, the vaping situation is something I've been keeping an eye on for the last couple of years because it seems like certainly in its initial stages that it was something that was accepted but this transition from vaping into smoking cigarettes um, are you say, suggesting or seeing that it is actually becoming a proper issue now? So it's well documented that people now, of course, we have a way of looking for a crystal ball and see who would do what. But people who traditionally would not have taken up cigarette smoking are more likely to transition from vaping to cigarette smoking. You're absolutely right that this was considered a, an acceptable mode of smoking or equivalent of it uh, up till now. But we're really promoting that it is still very, very bad for your health. The way I describe it to my patients and people who want to listen to me is that as you exhale, you see a puff of smoke. This is all particulate matter, very, very small amounts of uh, chemicals, basically, that have just a moment before been in your lungs and are doing damage no matter what. So even if a person says to you, these are safer than smoking, they're still quite dangerous. The other arm to the vaping and the e-cigarettes is the content of nicotine. So nicotine is the addictive substance in cigarettes. And we're seeing much, much younger people being exposed to much, much higher levels of nicotine, which will have an effect not only on their bodies, but also the formation of their brain. It's very uh, culpable to to the the brain uh, formation and maturation during teenage years. The nicotine can actually affect it. So doubly bad for its lungs and for for its effects on the other parts of the body. So it's something that shouldn't be acceptable and something that should be push back against, which I'm glad to see somebody's making moves towards. 
And Dr. Bulger, I mean, a lot of people from the uh, vaping community, the vaping lobby groups, would suggest that vaping does have a part or a role to play in smoking cessation. Um, but in your opinion, is it a, a valid role that it has to play, or should people just stop? If I was in control of everything, I would tell people to just stop. It's trying to convert one bad habit into another bad habit by transitioning from cigarettes to, to e-cigarettes or vaping. If a person is interested in smoking, and I will say this doubly so for the Carlo Kilkenny region, they can contact their GP, and we're very lucky to have a health promotion officer employed as part of our team who will be able to provide any amount of nicotine replacement products in the form of patches, gums, sprays, lozenges to help you out, and will counsel you and support you. And with this mechanism of going about smoking cessation, we know that you're chances of complete and long-term smoking cessation are much, much higher than when a person tries to cobble together some way of transitioning from cigarettes to vaping and so on. And you've touched on obviously those other pillars. You've mentioned diet, you've mentioned exercise, we've talked about air cleanliness, for example, as well. Um, The fifth pillar, vaccination. Has vaccination become something that people are a lot more aware of the benefits of as a result of the COVID pandemic, for example? Yes. So as a medical profession, we're very aware of the, the benefits associated with the flu vaccination, especially. It is a case that it can reduce your chances of acquiring the flu and therefore reduce your chances of ever having to come to the hospital. And unfortunately, every winter, people still die prematurely from the flu. So anything you can do to prevent it should be taken as far as I can see. Dr. Kenneth Bulger. In the case that there are other, sorry, but no, I'll, I'll just carry on. Some people will say that the flu vaccination gave them the flu or didn't prevent the flu. When a person gets the vaccination, they can have a small reaction to some components within the vaccination that cause a bit of muscle ache and a bit of fatigue. But these are usually something that is transient to the tune of one to two days, as opposed to the flu, where you can be in bed and feeling miserable for 10 days to two weeks. If a person says, I got the vaccination and I still had the flu, there are still other viruses that the person could pick up, but these viruses generally don't manifest as severely as the flu. So you've actually protected yourself against a dangerous, life-threatening virus with the flu vaccination, but you might pick up another respiratory virus that will give you a day's worth of aches and pains, runny noses, blocked noses, this sort of thing. But it's, these, uh, these uh, viruses, for the most part, in most patients, aren't as aggressive or as dangerous as the flu. And just finally, Dr. Bulger, um, are those vaccinations, those winter flu vaccinations, as many people would know them, are they available now? When will they become available for those who should take they them? Will generally be made available through your pharmacy, through your GP service and uh, other outlets at the beginning of October. But generally, people who, are, um, who will require them will be contacted to say it's available and it'll be well advertised across community pharmacies. Well, well, Dr. Kenneth Bulger, consultant respiratory physician at St. Luke's, joining us on today, uh, World Lung Day. Thank you for your time this morning. It's just coming up on um, 11 minutes to 10 o'clock. We're going to take a very short break, after which we'll be talking about mm, everything Heritage, because Heritage Officer at Carlow County Council, Councillor Owen Sullivan, discusses a heritage-led recognition regeneration plan for Carlow Town. I'll be talking to Owen in just a moment. 
KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Yes, you're very welcome back. It is Monday morning, 11 minutes to 11 o'clock and I'm joined on the phone now by Owen Sullivan. Owen is the Heritage Officer at Carlo County Council and we're going to be discussing the Heritage-led regeneration plan for Carlo Town. Good morning, Owen. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Thanks for having me on. First of all, what is a heritage-led regeneration plan? Well, not to answer a question with a question, but I suppose the, the best thing about this is that we're at the early stages. So this is something that's a process where we're commencing a heritage-led regeneration plan. I suppose it's an approach um, that has come about with years of experience under what they call the Historic Towns Initiative which is a programme run by the Heritage Council and secures government funding. And the idea is that towns and villages that have a deep history and a heritage can apply for funding to get a conservation team together uh, of conservation architects to produce a plan that encapsulates what the people in the community or in the town and the village want and that can open doors for funding for actions that are in the plan to be implemented. So uh, do these heritage sites um, have a big enough importance, in in your opinion, in towns and cities across Ireland when it comes to looking at town and city plans? Yeah, they do, yeah. I suppose the the beautiful thing of the the approach with the the plan is rather than look at individual buildings, for example, on a street in, in a town, the approach is that we look at the overall town and, as I say, it's very much so led by conservation architects. So where you have regeneration plans done and they're wonderful, uh, it's very good to sometimes have the expertise come in and look at the built fabric of these old buildings um, and to give advice or to work with the business owners to see what they can do, what funding is available, and really it's, I suppose, to get the buildings back into use. So if we have a vacant site or a derelict site, is to see what we can do to assist them based on the fact that it is a heritage building. And what are the key heritage buildings in Carlow Town that you, that you think we need to be aware of when we're considering those regeneration plans? Now, that is a very good question and a very <laughs> opportune question because that's really, and it sounds terrible to say, that's what the plan is going to do. But it is. But look, what I'd say, the, the beautiful thing about Carlow, um, and I think sometimes we often forget this, Carlow is kind of A-shaped when you look, and we often forget, first, Carlow is a medieval town. Um, this plan is not just for the people and the businesses, but it's for the visitors, it's for, we now have SETU, it's for the students who process through the town on a daily basis. And I often think they, they don't really get a sense of, this is actually a medieval town, it's on a par with Kilkenny and Wexford town. Do we sing those praises? So I suppose the, the central area is kind of A-shaped, and it's called an architectural conservation area. It's designated. So all of these buildings are protected, and there's funding available for them. But, I mean, very often when you walk up along some of the streets, you kind of forget that there is the George Bernard Shaw connection. George Bernard Shaw would have left some of the properties to to the town. So, you know, there, there are some amazing buildings around the town itself. Some of them are in county council ownership. Some of them are used like the environment section have a, have a beautiful building there in the town. So, look, there's a whole range of them. But really what we're trying to do is to get the community talking with the consultants and to see what they see as their priorities. And then can we identify opportunity sites, be they buildings or public spaces to, to enhance. And on how difficult is it to balance the needs to protect heritage and yet create modern, vibrant towns and cities that actually work for modern day living? 
Yeah, look, I suppose that 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 that, that does hit the hit the crux on the head. I suppose you know you will be looking at a town, and obviously enough, we'd be looking for some aspects. You'd be looking, going, can we maybe reduce parking? Can we address parking? Can we address how the how freely people move through 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 towns? For example, in Carlo. Um, so it's very much so kind of seeing what we can do. But obviously, look, a town is, is, is a vibrant place. It should be a vibrant place. That's what these plans are trying to enhance. But also people have to be continue living in there and also doing business. So there's always that. I mean, there's always that needs and wants aspect with any plan. And it's to get that balance. But that really is down to the consultation to, to pull the people together, which we really need to do. And that's, that's what this process is all about. Well, talking about the process, because what will happen, as is always the case with processes like this, is you'll go through the process, you'll do what needs to be done, and then you and me and people on the street will go, why did they do that? Why didn't they do this? That's what public consultation is for. Tell us how and when people can get involved in that process. Okay. What I'd say is, first off, uh, the consultants, uh, the Carlo County Council appointed, sorry, appointed, consultants called urban scale intervention so they have an online questionnaire you can get the details on the um, facebook page of carla county council community site or indeed go onto the carla library's heritage page you'll see the details there if you don't want to do it online it's completely anonymous you can also drop into carla libraries in on tulla street and you can do a paper version and it's all locked away um Tomorrow night then, from 2 o'clock till 6 o'clock in the showroom in Carlo Library, we're having what we call a drop-in session. And that's an opportunity where anyone who passes through Carlo, lives in Carlo, does business in Carlo, loves Carlo, likes Carlo, wants to talk about Carlo, can come in and meet the team of consultants who are doing this. And that, that's a, an opportunity to kind of sit down and go, look, what exactly is this plan about? What am I saying? Is it being listened to? How important is it? So they'll kind of chat through that for people. Um, and that's really the two main things of the consultation, that people can come in, meet and chat, or can do it online on the questionnaire. And we, it's very general, just to see what your feeling is. I mean, what, what exactly is heritage? What sense of the heritage do we get when we walk around Carlow Town? That's what we want to do, and how can we enrich and enhance that? Well, great to see that you're looking, considering that the challenges, no doubt, will always be there, but um, people can get involved, as you said, that drop-in public session, Tuesday the 26th in the showroom, Carlo Library and Tullow Street in Carlo. Uh, do pop along, have a look at what they've got to say, and have a say at what you think. Owen Sullivan, Heritage Officer at Carlo County Council, thanks for joining us this morning on the show. It's just coming up on 4 minutes to 11 o'clock. Don't forget, of course, we've got a competition running all of this week. It's brought to you by um, the good people at Home Fire Fuels to warm your hearts. If you've witnessed or experienced an act of kindness, we want to know about it. Let us know um, by email kclrlive at kclr96fm.com or text me during the show 10 to 083 306 9696. Five finalists one each day getting a toasty 10 bags of Home Fire Fuels with the overall Home Fire Warm Hearts champion getting 20 kilo bag, three bags per week for 17 weeks. Just to give you a bit of a flavour of the type of thing that we're looking for, Marion Dalton has been on. Good morning, Marion. She says, back in the day before mobile phones, that long ago, she went to Dublin for the day. Her parents had a landline, so she rang them from the cafe where she was having something to eat, only find out that her mother, unfortunately, had suffered a stroke. She needed to get home quickly, but the train was not going for some hours. She needed a taxi, but did not have the £60, and she says pounds, yes, it was that long ago, on her to pay 
um, for a taxi. So um, the kind taxi man trusted her, a complete stranger, and brought her back home to Carlo. She said, I was all over the place, never mind even asking him his name. Her mother was also glad to see her home. A few weeks later, she came home from the hospital. There's so many kind people out there. Well, that kind taxi driver showed the exact type of kindness that we're looking for. Thanks for sharing that story and with us, Marion. And if you've got a story, it doesn't have to be something um, that somebody did for you. Maybe maybe you'd like uh, a very well-deserved pat on the back for something you did. Well, the good people at Home First want to give you that pat on the back, but you have to let us know about the story. 083 306 9696. It's a dog's life. With Samantha Rawson. Joining us on the phone this morning with her warm heart, Samantha. Good morning to you. Good morning, Brian. I was listening to that little intro about um, acts of kindness, and I know that's not what we're supposed to be talking about, but I was stranded on a little island off the coast of La Rochelle at the weekend, and it wasn't for the kindness of a waiter that gave me a lift to the ferry to get a ferry back to La Rochelle. You would be talking to me from France. <laughs> I love the way how you shoehorned the fact that you were in France <laughs> the weekend into this. But it's nice. It does make a huge difference when somebody oh, just does something small, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. To- total stranger. Didn't know the guy. Didn't even know his name. And and he gave me a lift to the ferry. And then I was walking up the road to meet him to bring me to the ferry. And a woman pulled in and gave me a lift. So if it wasn't for the acts of kindness of two total strangers, I would not be here. <laughs> well, very nice to hear. I would contest that in a couple of weeks' time, if Ireland um, have faced France in the Rugby World Cup and possibly defeated France, that act of kindness might not have been easy to receive. But there you go. Uh, listen, what have we got? What have you got for me this week? Um, what I've got to for you this week is we're going to talk about brassophallic breeds, and I don't even know if that's the correct pronunciation. Basically, squashed-based breeds of dogs. The likes so, of pugs and stuff pugs, like that. Pekingeses, uh, English bulldogs. Um, you know, Cavaliers are in there now. Now everybody knows that I'm a Cavalier fan, but Cavaliers are in there. But the Netherlands have banned brassophallic breeds um, because they don't consider it in the welfare of the dog. Because some of these dogs, if they've got squashed up faces and sharpies come under this group as well, they've got wrinkles in their face. So, so you know, they collect debris and dirt. They, from my point of view as a dog trainer, they can't communicate. So when you've got a dog with a squashed up face, he can't communicate what he needs to other dogs because he can't express his face. He, you know, there's no, it's almost like as if he's had Botox. His face I was just going to say exactly that. It's like a person that's got Botox and you think, is she yeah. in a good mood or is he in a bad mood yeah. or what's, what's the story with that person? Yeah. And these dogs can sometimes get themselves into trouble with other dogs because other dogs can't read them. So, so the dog with the squashed up face is trying to communicate, please go away or, you know, would you like to engage? They think they're sending a message, but the message isn't being read by the other dog because, they're, because man, us, have messed up with them so much that we've changed their whole um, morphology, their physical appearance, to the fact that they have physical welfare needs but they then also have behavioural and social uh, welfare needs that are, are being compromised. Um, so it's not unusual if, if anybody's listening and they have an owner, and boxers would also come under this, this category, if they have dogs with those kind of faces, think about do they get into trouble with other dogs? And maybe the reason why is, is because they can't communicate. 
Yeah, so all of these squashed up dogs, I mean, the, the, there's no evolutionary benefit to, to no, a dog having constricted not. airways and an inability to express yeah. itself and gathering dirt yeah. and all that in the creases. Yeah. It's yeah, our the fault. Ev- the, the evolution of canids is they have long muzzles. Do you know what I mean? They're prey, they're prey animals, so they're supposed to be able to hunt, um, you know, and, and catch their dinner. So how would you, you know, hunt and catch your dinner if you've got a squashed up face? And they're talking about banning these breeds now, Samantha, are they? Well, they've, they've banned them. They have actually banned them in the Netherlands. Um, and then the, the other point is that apparently Sweden doesn't have any dog pounds. So obviously Sweden have a very high level of responsibility towards dog ownership because there are no dog pounds in Sweden. They don't need them. Wow, that's amazing, um, isn't it? I mean, yeah. sticking with that thing about the dogs with the squashed your faces, maybe we'll look at the pounds thing in just a moment. Uh, there's a lot of people out there. I mean, I've got some friends. Um, they're actually from the UK. They're not from Ireland. They're, um, who've been pug owners most of their adult life. They absolutely love them. Yeah. How would you answer that that sort of challenge that we get? Because we always get challenges to things that people yeah. say, no, I've got a pug, I love my pug. Why would you? You should be getting rid of those dogs that are out um, endangering well, well, people's lives. Well, I suppose that the individual person that buys the breed, you know, obviously loves their individual dog. But I'm talking from the, the breeder's point of view. Like the English bulldog, most English bulldogs cannot actually give birth naturally. Now, one of the categories of domestication is the ability to reproduce itself. So if you don't have the ability to reproduce yourself, well, then Mother Nature says you don't exist or you shouldn't exist. So an awful lot of the English bulldogs can only give birth through cesarean infection. Because so, they don't have the, the, the airwaves to, to they give... they can't breathe to, right. to go through go to give birth. They actually can't breathe. So, you know, so that dog actually shouldn't exist if you think about it. And so those breeds also have lots of problems with breeding issues and stuff like that. As in, I mean, huge, in and out, I don't huge, mean re- reproduction. Yeah. yeah, huge breathing issues, huge issues with their ear, their tail is curled up so they can't communicate, they folds in their face that gets full of dirt, their eyes are squashed up so they have eye issues, they have turned in eyelids. So, so I don't know how anybody could say I love dogs and, and produce and breed those dogs. I, I just don't understand it. If somebody stood in front of me and said, oh, I love animals and I love dogs, and they had an English bulldog, I'd go, I'm sorry, I have to dis- disagree with you. You couldn't possibly love animals if you produced those dogs. And are Holland the only country that you're aware of so far to have banned these breeds so, so or are there other bands? I think that there's some mention of something happening in Finland, but the Netherlands have actually uh, you know, passed their legislation that they are now banned. I don't know when it's actually coming into effect. But they, they are banned. So so Frenchies, you know, um, Boston Terriers, Frenchies, Pugs, there's a whole list of them. But I suppose from my point of view, I want listeners to be aware that if you have one of those breeds, think about their social interactions with other dogs and how they communicate. Like if a dog doesn't have a tail, how is it supposed to communicate with another dog? So dogs communicate through their tail carriage, through their ear carriage, through their facial expressions, you know, able to... to change their face um, and tails are really important like, like I was listening to a webinar over the weekend and the vet actually talked about the old English sheepdog now you would kind of go the old English sheepdog what, what's wrong with the old English sheepdog it's got a profuse coat it's got hair over its eyes so it can't see and the old it, it, tail, tail docking is banned now but it used to be called the bobtail sheepdog because they had no tail so again how can that dog it can't change its coat it can't you know raise its heckles it can't communicate with its tail. Other dogs can't see its ears, can't see its face. 
So how is that dog able to communicate with other dogs? Yeah, yeah. And presumably, I mean, if that dog can't communicate with other dogs, it's also a lot more difficult for us as owners or handlers to also read those expressions. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. Yeah, very good point. So if another dog can't read it, then most of the time, you know, the, the owner or the handler can't read it. I mean, years ago, I was asked to work with an old English sheepdog. And I said to the owner, I will only work with you if you get the dog groomed because I can't read it. I said, you know, and for safety, I need to be able to read the dog. So I insisted that he got the dog groomed and then I was able to read it. And then I, then I said I'd work with it. Okay, interesting um, story from the holiday. Go back to the story about Sweden and not having any dog pounds. Have you been aware of or noticed anything that's in, you know, Swedish dog owning legislation or society or just a culture um, that maybe could be the key to that good, sensible dog ownership and maybe something we could follow here? Yeah, well, I, I think they take dog ownership much more seriously than we do. And they, I, as far as I know, they're obliged to attend dog training classes and they're obliged to know about dogs and their breed. And I suppose, you know, I was in France for a couple of days and an awful lot of dogs on mainland Europe are on the lead all the time. Now, I have a problem with that because dogs don't get off leads, so they look well-behaved, but then the dogs are brought everywhere. So I'm, I'm not quite happy with that either because I, I do think dogs need a good gallop. Um, you know, an exercise over here is half the problem of behaviour problems. But I think when a dog is completely restricted, yes, it, must, it might look well-behaved, but then there's a certain amount of kind of, well, why express yourself if you're never going to get to enjoy yourself? You know, there's a certain yeah. amount of what we call in the in behavioural terms learned helplessness. Where broken personality almost. Yeah, almost broken personality because they never get off the lead. Yeah, You know, yeah. they're not allowed off the lead. Um, I'm sure they're allowed off the lead in certain places, but generally they're always on lead and all, always under control. So I suppose it's two extremes. Here there isn't enough control, and maybe on mainland Europe there's too much control. So maybe somewhere in the balance. Happy medium. They, yeah, they certainly, citizens have to undertake dog training classes in order to own a dog. Well, that I, I think I, is I absolutely think sensible. I mean, because we're hearing so many stories of, of you know, those more dangerous breeds not being trained and yeah. handled properly, and that yeah. leading to people's uh, people being injured and so on and so forth. And yeah. I think generally, in terms of you know, uh, just you, you go to prenatal classes before you have a child. Why wouldn't you do something yeah. similar before you have a dog? Absolutely, and 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 people always blame the large breeds. Like there's a whole conversation now in Britain about the XL bully. But, I mean, somebody who owns the Yorkshire Terrier is equally as obliged to know about the Yorkshire Terrier. Do you know what I mean? It's not just the large breeds. The large breeds get blamed. But everybody who owns every dog has, you know, a duty to know as much about that dog as they possibly can. So, you know, years ago I trained a little Yorkshire Terrier and the owner had no idea that they were bred as ratters. You know, they're originally farm dogs to kill vermin. And the owner, because the owner said to me, why is he so noisy? He keeps running out to the garden and barking at birds. And I said, well, he's a vermin you know, controller. He's bred to kill vermin. He's bred to be highly alert to noise and movement. And she had no idea. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Samantha <laughs> Rawson, um, thank you for giving us your little story of kindness. Thanks as always for joining us on the show. Um, have a good week. Enjoy whatever I you've will. got planned for the weekend. And I look forward already to talking to you next week. Samantha Rawson from the Canine College. Doug's Life. With Samantha Rawson. Got to take a short break. We'll have some music on the way from Niall Horan, after which we continue our series looking at Casey Law's wedding showcase. It's coming up this week. Uh, Niall Horan with Heaven. 25 past 11 this morning. Lots of racks of kindness coming in. Some really, really nice ones here. Um, I had an appointment in Waterford Hospital and parked in a disabled bay. Went to the ticket machine to discover you could not pay by card. 
unusually because most machines are going the other way now where you can only pay by card but the lady in front of me paid for my ticket and asked me to light a candle for her a complete stranger Mary Shea and Lockboy what a nice story Mary another one a nomination for a random act of kindness is my Ukrainian refugee friend who is a psychotherapist she understands um, from my mannerisms um, I have an Asperger syndrome and ADHD diagnosis and has brought me out to pubs etc um, I'd be nervous to go on my own and knows when to take me home if I'm suffering from sensory overload what a fabulous story David um, in so many ways um, talking about the skills that, that people from Ukraine have brought to this country and the random act of kindness that friend of yours bringing you out um, because of their skill set being able to identify the right settings for you when things have changed I like that one good pubs um, can be hard to find sometimes when you've got those types of issues and somebody said I was coming to a door with chopping bags full in my hands when this kind gentleman ran ahead to hold the door open very grateful Geraldine Harrison um, New England Tullerone County Kilkenny absolutely fabulous sometimes it's the small ones that make all the difference do keep them coming in we're looking for our hero in association with Home Fires random acts of kindness um, uh, different sorts of prizes lots of them available over the next weeks um, but we're looking for those acts 083 306 9696 or you can email them to us kclrlive at kclr96fm.com now it's coming up it's this Thursday what is it I hear you say well it's KCLR's wedding showcase happening this Thursday in the Medieval Mall Museum between 5pm and 9pm lots and lots of different people from the wedding industry are around Kilkenny, Carlo, and maybe from further afield, coming to tell us about what they have to offer. If you're considering getting married or you know somebody who's considering getting married, uh, the ideal place to you to be, you can go along for free. All you've got to do is register on KCLR's social media platforms. And if you do so, not only will you get free admission to that medieval mile museum, you'll also get the opportunity to pick up a €1,000 holiday voucher. Anybody who registers in advance and goes along on the nights will be in with a chance. Continuing to look at some of the different suppliers who will be there on the evening. A little bit earlier this week, Etna called up Denise Brennan from the Orchard Salon and Day Spa, based at Hotel Kilkenny. I'm joined by Denise Brennan of the Orchard Salon and Day Spa. Denise, welcome along to the programme. Thank you so much for having me. You're most welcome. Tell me a little bit about your business. So we are the Orchard Salon and Day Spa. We're located on the grounds of Hotel Kilkenny. Um, And so we kind of are your one-stop shop for everything when it comes to like getting ready for your wedding, your bridal party. We do a lot of hen parties, a lot of pre-wedding packages. And then when it comes to the beauty prep leading up to your wedding, we we cater to everything because that can be quite overwhelming, not knowing like how to line everything up when your tan, your nails, all of that. We have just decided that that's something that a lot of brides don't need that extra stress. So we've kind of put together packages to help with that. 
I love the sound of that. So especially for people who might not be into the nails and the makeup and the eyebrows and all of that, it can be overwhelming, can't it? Oh, 100%. Like, and I've done it uh, for a lot of my friends as well because if you're not in the industry, you don't actually know when you should be doing all of this. You don't know when, whether you do your nails before your tan or your wax, all of that. Even that week of the wedding, you know, to line all of that up so you know when to get your tan done, you know when to get your nails done, to have it all lined up correctly. Like if you're not in the industry, you don't know how to do that. So we've, we take that off the bride and we we plan that whole week for them and done packages like that so we understand that you know your bridesmaids to cater to as well so kind of packaging all of like the tans together get the best value as well for the bride and the bridesmaids Talk to me about male grooming there do you get many grooms into you? Oh we would yeah absolutely we do a lot of men coming up to their wedding with their facials because again like you know men some might not be familiar with skincare or have a good um, regular skincare routine so we take them in and we do we do all kinds of facials so we have your relaxing facials or then right down to your more advanced peels um, and just kind of getting in there we do a lot of men we do male waxing as well um, all of that so we do couples treatments as well which is quite popular which is really nice actually before you get married to kind of relax just before the wedding week and the craziness of the wedding a lot of couples come into us for like a couple's full body massage performed in our couple's room and then they can relax in our relaxation room with a glass of bubbles so it's a nice way to unwind before the wedding week. That sounds lovely because I think sometimes in all of the wedding prep the actual couple get a little bit forgotten about and the whole reason that they're you know that the event is taking place is to celebrate themselves and their love so it's really nice to take time out. A hundred percent and I always say that to people that when they're getting married that they should even if it's not a night away that they get a chance to go before them even going for a couple's treatments together just to relax because you actually don't realise how tense you might be in the week coming up to the wedding um, and like that as well we, not only for the couples um, we do we do it for like the pre-wedding bridal parties so even like if you're like after having your big hen party and there might have been one or two that might not have been able to make it a little like spa day where we do the 30 minute spa treatment with a cu- uh, glass of bubbles for a couple of people that can be quite nice as well so then for people on the big day, do you do a wedding package where you can travel to people's homes or is it in the salon or how does that work? At the moment, it's just in the salon. So because obviously we, we're on the grounds of a hotel, we're quite busy with weddings in the hotel. So we would be doing a lot of the makeups and stuff like that for those weddings. Um, so at the moment, we don't we don't travel yet. But it's definitely something that we, we would be looking at because we're getting quite busy with with makeup here. Um, and I'm not sure many people know that we do makeups here. So that's kind of getting going and getting busier with that. So obviously, if, if it's something that we feel that we can certainly cater to, we'll look at it. For wedding makeup then, what kind of um, things do you advise? So for wedding makeup, it's all about your skincare prep you have to kind of look at your skin before and there's no point in putting a load of makeup on top of skin that you haven't looked after if you look after your skin it'll shine through in your makeup you won't need all that coverage so I always say start six months before a wedding with your skincare prep even like a peel or a good facial once a month and then the week of your wedding say about four or five days out from your actual wedding come in for like a nice we do a red carpet facial so it's an oxygen infused facial so that would really like help with the, the look on the day. And then just, it's all about the prep. Your makeup will sit better on the day of the wedding if you've really looked after the skin and the lead up to the wedding. Denise, you're joining us at our wedding showcase event on Thursday evening. Tell us a little bit about what people can expect on the evening. 
Yeah, so we're looking forward to being part of the wedding showcase and we just want to stand there and, re- and showcase what we offer in the prep up to a wedding and that you can come to us. We'll showcase all of our different bridal packages. We can tailor make packages. So we have everything from like just a spray tan package for you and your bridesmaids right up to the ultimate bridal package where we literally take everything, all the stress of the appointments and the wedding prep away from you. So right down from your skincare, your facials, your tan, your nails, your head part prep all of that so we have loads of different packages that we can show you because we do everything here we're kind of like your one-stop shop that you can come to us whether it's just a spray tan for your hen party or it's a hen party that you want to have local um, we can we can showcase it all to you and finally Denise for anybody who is looking for your information where can they find you so we actually have a new website so it's the Orchard Salon and Day Spa um, so as you look us up, we have obviously Instagram and Facebook all under the Orchard Salon and Day Spa. Denise Brennan of the Orchard Salon and Day Spa, thank you so much for your time and we'll see you on Thursday. Lovely, thank you so much, looking forward to it. Yes, Seth and Quirk speaking to Denise at the Orchard Day Spa, located at Hotel Kilkenny. They are one of the many, many suppliers that will be up in the Medieval Mile Museum this Thursday, the 28th of September, between 5 and 9, as part of Casey Law's wedding showcase. If you want to go along and be in with the chance of winning that €1,000 holiday voucher for all those that register in advance for free and attend on the night, just go and check out Casey Law's social media platforms where you can find all of the information that you need. Just coming up on 25 minutes to 12 o'clock and we've heard a lot uh, understandably in recent days about the facts and figures contained in the Children's Health Ireland report into the 19 reviewed cases into children that underwent spinal surgery at Temple Street Children's Hospital. Today we get the personal story of one of those families. Trina Phelan, mother of nine-year-old Brianna, will be joining us immediately after this break. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. Did you hear KCL or breakfast this morning? If Twitter is now X, are tweets now expletives? Are locksmiths considered to be key workers? And clothes pegs? Can you buy them online? KCL or Breakfast, back tomorrow morning from 7. With thanks to the Kilkenny Ormond Hotel, helping you plan a celebration that's right for you. See KilkennyOrmond.com The best businesses never stop beginning. So whether you're starting or growing your business, we want to make it easier for you. At Bank of Ireland, our faster, easier online loan applications help your business take the next step. Search Bank of Ireland Business Loans. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply over 18s only. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Visit Audiology Medical Services at Airfield Medical Practice, Kilkenny. We specialise in both adult and paediatric hearing assessments and microsuction earwax removal. Book your free adult hearing screening today on 1-800-501-501. Audiology Medical Services, giving you back the gift of hearing. 
Renovating your home? Then come visit the EnviroClad showroom Kilkenny. We have everything you need to create a beautiful space at your place. Products include PVC wall and ceiling panels for bathrooms and kitchens, hygienic PVC wall cladding, waterproof vinyl click flooring, PVC skirting and window boards. And new to our extensive range, SPC and FIBO solid wall panels. Free supply and fit quotation service available. Call 056 or visit EnviroClad.com KCLR Welcome back. Well, just last week the HSE commissioned a review into surgeries carried out at Temple Street Hospital uh, by one particular consultant. 19 children's cases being reviewed. We've heard you know, lots of sort of anonymised detail around um, those individual cases and how long the review will take but often in the case of these types of stories we never get the personal story behind those facts and figures. So we're joined on the phone line this morning by Trina Phelan mother of nine year old Brianna Good morning Trina, uh, lovely to have you on thanks for taking the time this morning Good morning, how are you? Good, thank you. Um, so, tell us your story. I mean, your mother of, of nine-year-old Brianna. Um, how many children have you got? Is it just Brianna? And um, what's she like as a child? I have I have two daughters. I have Johanna, who is 19, and Brianna, who is nine. Um, Brianna, as a daughter, is she's funny, caring, um, independent little girl. Uh, she lives life. She lives her life to the full. Nothing gets in her way in life. Her motto is, "I can do it." That's the kind of girl that she is. She's very independent. And when she was born nine years ago, um, she was born with spina bifida. She was. Yes, yeah, she had a. She had an operation on her back to do her uh, closure on her back nine nine years ago. So she also has hypotheses where she has a VB shunt inserted to keep the fluid off her brain. And spina and she bifida also has scoliosis. She's got scoliosis as well. Yeah, yeah. Spina bifida as a condition. Um, just reading about it over the weekend. Um, it, it's quite varied in terms of the the levels of severity. There's four major different types. In terms of um, Brianna's spina bifida, how bad is it? Brianna has no feeling from the waist down. So her like she's a, a full time wheelchair user. She can't. She can't walk. So, her, as she says, she doesn't need to walk. She has a wheelchair to get her get her around. <laughs> and I, I can tell by the little giggle in your voice that she has no problems getting around in that wheelchair. She 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 has she her wheelchair was after being upgraded after she got the after she gets spinal surgery and it's got to a stage now where we're telling her to slow down. She just speeds speeds around in her wheelchair. She just she has no fear. She's no fear. <laughs> Well, listen, apart from being a danger to anybody that comes near because she's <laughs> flying around the place in the wheelchair, um, take us back to when you were first given the diagnosis. I mean, did you get the diagnosis while you were still pregnant or was it only come to you after she was born? I, I was diagnosed, well, Brianna was diagnosed with spinal bifida when she was, I was 29 weeks pregnant on, on her. We were told that she had spinal bifida and that we had to go up to Holland Street for that's that's the that's the people took over the care up there with Holland Street. We had to go up every second week to get scans and all done just to keep an eye on to keep an eye on the lesion, how big it was and to see to keep an eye on her head as well. 
the size of her, of her brain as well, what way it was going to be. But I couldn't give us any answers until the actual day she was born. So that's when we found out that the lesion was slightly higher than what they had thought, that they had damaged the nerves to the legs. As we had said, is her fingers and toes there and she's able to communicate? And they said yes, so we didn't. Either way, Timmy didn't mind. She was still going to be our little girl. So. Yeah, yeah. And how quickly after Brianna was born... Um, did surgical interventions start to take place or be discussed uh, as a way to try to make sure um, that the effects of the conditions she had were as minimal as possible on her life? Um, as she was getting older, um, her spine was starting to grow. We had to have a bed system for it to try and keep her straight in the bed, which didn't work because... Brianna doesn't like to sit still, so she was thrown to bed system out of the bed and everything else. And then the cur- she had a 10 degree curve at the time. And then it just gradually started, as she was growing, the curve started to grow. And then eventually then her curve ended up at 100 degrees. Um, there, uh, That's when she had to get the, the operation done there last year. That's a very severe amount of curve. I mean, if anybody can picture yeah. a 90 degree curve or 100 degrees, is obviously even even worse than that. What sort of impact was that having on our life and our health? At the time when she was at the 100 last year, when she was waiting for these operations to happen, which was constantly being cancelled, Brianna's uh, body was literally crushing. She was literally being crushed by her uh, rib cage. Her lungs were gone underneath her rib cage. She couldn't breathe. She couldn't talk. She had no active in life at all. She wanted to stay in bed, crying in pain, which she never does. She didn't want to go anywhere. Her school, even her down to her school, was cut down to an hour, an hour every second day. She was in school every second day for an hour, and even that she couldn't tolerate sitting in her chair. She had to be lying down in bed so she was able to breathe when she was lying down on her side and able to talk to us on her side. So that's what happened there. Yeah, I mean, uh, from the little like we spoke to you this morning and, and the start of the interview now, I mean, people will get the sense that the Brianna, like almost all nine-year-old child, children, thankfully, um, is somebody who's full of life and full of energy and full of go. I mean, that must have been really difficult for her to handle when things got to that stage. It, it was it was hard for her to handle, but she still, you know, she was in pain and she was crying. She still managed to give us a smile and a thumbs up to say she was okay. And she got to a stage where she was just begging me to stop to stop the pain and I was like I'm trying to get in get you in to get your surgery done and everything else uh, emails phone calls to the hospital that she was getting worse and everything else and then then the September last year she was brought in to get the fusion done and that morning of it she was told that she couldn't have the operation because there was no ICU bed for her that was the first major so, operation that she was due to have to, to correct the curvatures. Yeah, yeah. And then the day of that, then they said, because husband at the time said to her, we can't leave Brianna like that because she's in pain, she can't breathe. And they intervened by putting her into a halo traction, which wasn't planned for 12 weeks. And she was in that for 12 weeks, no school, no nothing. She was home here with me, um, which... Affected her mentally because she wanted to be in, in school with her friends. She couldn't understand that she couldn't go to school because she was in this halo traction. And then 
December last year, then they took off the halo traction and told me they weren't going to go down the road of the fusion, that Bialis curve went from 100 degrees to 70 degrees and that they could put a growth rod in and that's the plan we went with, was a growth rod. And explain that growth rod. I mean, as you said, the halo traction had helped. Um, why was there a suggestion that they would need this extra um, intervention? There is, there, there, because she was on the halo traction, kids with spinal bifida are stiff anyway, their joints are all stiff anyway. So put her on the halo traction, they didn't actually think that Brianna was going to go from 100 to 70 degrees on the halo traction, but she did. So because she went to 70, they were able to put the growth rod in. If she hadn't moved any more than that, they would have, they would have to go in and do the, the fusion. It was a double fusion that she was okay. going to get done. So because the, the halo traction worked, they said the growth rod would do the same job as the fusion would have done. So the rod goes in, it's attached to three of her ribs and it's um, then anchored to her pelvis. So every, she was supposed to get it done every four to six months, she's supposed to go back in and get it. They, they go bring her back down to the t and they adjust the rod, they adjust the rod every four to six months. So Trina, at this point, I mean, this would have been relatively good news. I mean, the halo traction yes. had worked much, much better than had been expected and that now meant that she would be a candidate for this surgery. Take us forward now to when Trina actually had this surgical procedure and what's happened since then. Brianna had the procedure done in December and we went back up there in January to get her staples and all out and that was it. We heard nothing. We've, we've had no aftercare whatsoever since she got that rod in eyes. She ended up getting a blister where the rod actually was under her shoulder blade where she, she can feel at her shoulder blade. She didn't feel well. She had pains in her back. She pains across her shoulders. I emailed the hospital. I rang everybody and they kept saying to me, the team would get back to me. The team would get back to me. Um, eventually I had to go, I had to read my own GP and he looked at it and he said he can't intervene because he doesn't know anything about the rod so we had to keep plasters on it and she had to clean it myself and look after it myself for the last eight months You had spent eight months cleaning um, this and, particular blister yeah. and sore and wounded that, that yeah. was coming on, on, on Trina's yeah. back When did you be first become aware that you, you know that, that Brianna was one of those 19 cases being reviewed by CHI? Um, I was notified in February because I was ringing up to find out what was happening with her, with, with the soreness on her back. And I was told that they went back to the files and realised that Brianna was clinically active at the time of this review was going on. And now that they've taken her case now into consideration as well as one of the review. So then that was, that was that's all I found out. And as someone in in your course would be in contact with me and we have heard nothing from anybody till the end of until nearly the end of August there when there was our review was done and they kind of saying that the review was done and that they were ringing us in time to talk to us about the review. So have you had any subsequent or additional help? I mean you, you talked about the fact that, that, you, that you're providing all this extra care uh, for Brianna over those eight or nine months since they've actually engaged with you have you had any subsequent extra help? We've we all we were told that we've met her new we she had a new consultant now over in that's where she's been transferred to Crumlin for her the rest of her surgical um, operations. Um, I showed them pictures of the blister and everything else and said 
that was where the rod, that's actually where the rod was and that it should have been cared for better than what it was. And they're taking over the case, basically. Yes. So she's been up and down through Cromlin for the surgeon to get to know her better since August. So she's been up nearly every second week now to, 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 see, to meet all of them. And he said the next meeting will be Brianna getting her rod lengthened. That will be the next meeting. So obviously, I mean, it, it's not been perfect because, I mean, she wouldn't have blisters on her back and stuff like that if it had to be done perfectly. But is it having any of the desired effects in terms of helping her with the scoliosis and curvature in her spine? It has. It, it has straightened her up a bit. She's able to, she's back to being Brianna, the child we all Great. love and know. She's very, she's very, she's a very active child. She knows herself that the rod is there. She's been asking for that eight months. When is she going back up to get the rest, get it, to get a lengthened again? I, 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 I'm laughing, I'm laughing to myself at that because I, I, the bravery of children like this just cease never ceases to amaze me I mean anybody if I was going up to get an ingrown toenail removed I'd be putting it off <laughs> yes. and putting it off and here she is asking you when are we going up for the next one yes she's, she's very clued into what's what's happening to her as we do say to her when we know the information we let her know the information but we don't tell her exactly everything that's happening so yeah. she but being Brianna as clever as she is, she, she knows. She can read between the lines herself. And Trina, how did you feel last week when you, you heard the stories surrounding this review of, of things not being maybe as as good as they should be and, and cases being moved to Temple Street? I was I, I was disgusted. I was shocked. Um, I kind of looked at himself, but I was kind of like, is Brianna's rod one of those defects? And do you know yet? It's going to affect, it's going to affect her down the line. So we were told by her new consultant that it's not the rod is grand the way it is, and that it's doing it's doing its job. Basically, that's what he said to us: it's doing its job, and that he's just going to lengthen it for her, and then he's going to put another plan in place down the line for her for her surgeries. That's all he said to us. So okay. it was, it, it, I felt I felt for the other families that are all involved, what they're going through, what they're and the people that have their surgeries cancelled at the back of it all I was kind of like I'm kind of blessed in the way that we got the surgery done that she's able to be more active back in her wheelchair going back to school full time and then there's parents out there in, they don't know where they are they're just the communication between between the CHI and the HSC is just appalling towards the parents we just left in limbo that's where we are yeah, okay well listen I think uh, first of all I'm delighted to hear that uh Brianna is, uh, although she's got challenges in terms of facing, you know, the, the condition with her back and stuff like that, but the, the fact that the curvature is starting to improve, and most importantly, at the end of the day, as you said, she's starting to get back to herself. It's great to hear. What do you expect yeah. to change to hear? Do you hear? Do you expect to hear more communication from Children's Health Ireland over the next couple of months, or are you just, you know, trying to keep your head down and get on with looking after Brianna? Uh, Brianna is my main priority in all of this so I'm trying to protect her from all of what's happening around her we tend not to talk about someone in front of her we don't listen to the news at 6 o'clock anymore we turn it on when she's gone to bed because because she does and she's over it as well sometimes because she's, so, she's just so clued in so we just kind of keep our heads down when, it, when Brianna's around us we kind of stay away from the subject kind yeah. of thing so and when she's not around then we we vent, we vent to each other and vent what's happening in the world, what's happening up there. So we just have to sit here and wait now and see what happens with CHI. 
Well, Trina Phelan, I know you were nervous about Con and saying the right thing and not saying the wrong thing and everything else, but <laughs> you've done a fabulous, fabulous job, I have to say. Thank you. Um, you really held your tongue quite nicely. Thank you very much. We do appreciate that as well. And uh, I, I really look forward to, to having to jump out of the way of Brianna in the wheelchair um, the next time we come across from town. Give her, give her our love, will you please? And um, I will. We'll, we'll keep an eye on the story and maybe we'll get Thank a chance to have Brianna in studio sometime. Um, just yes. to check in with how she's going on. Uh, Trina Phelan, uh, mother of nine-year-old Brianna, and of course, mother of 19-year-old Joanna as well. Um, can't be forgotten in all this. Uh, joining us on the show this morning to talk about Brianna and her story. Um, we're going to take a short break. KCL or live with thanks to the Fairgreen Shopping Centre gift card. You're very welcome back. Um, thanks for all those lovely text messages in relation to our chat there with Trina. Um, we'll keep them coming in and we'll pass them all on for so many people congratulating her on, on, on just being a fabulous mother, I suppose, the best way to sum them all up. Great work by Trina and um, all involved in trying to make sure that Brianna gets the best care possible and available out there we'll bring you the winner of our home forest competition in just a few moments but time to squeeze in a little bit of music rounding out the show this morning almost is picture this this with red lights bringing us almost to the end of today's show just enough time left to tell you that the winner um, of today's home fire fuels competition looking for people um, who've got those fabulous little stories random little acts of kindness the winner today David O'Leary David told us the story earlier on about uh, a friend of his who's a Ukrainian refugee but also a qualified psychotherapist and David said she understands from his his mannerisms that he has Asperger's syndrome along with ADHD diagnosis as well and she's brought him out to pubs etc because she knows he'd be nervous going to those type of settings and she knows when he's getting a little bit overawed and takes him home what and that's not a random little act of kindness that's a big act of kindness using your skills uh, to help another person absolutely fabulous David congratulations uh, David O'Leary those uh, bags of fuel the 10 bags of home for our fuels they're on their way to you and of course course not just that but you're in with a chance of becoming the overall home fire warm hearts champion at the end of the week and if you are that it means you'll win three bags of 20 kg home fire fuels every week for the next 17 weeks you'll be able to get involved tomorrow by sending your text or whatsapps or your stories into us on the dinner's ready text line on the kcl or live email address either way thanks to siobhan for looking after us today thanks to etna quirk for helping put the show together we'll be back with you tomorrow morning from 10 john Keane is up after the news at 12, which will be read in a few moments by Ashling Bolton Dowling.